This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got Jeff Lester from Hunt Hard Outfitters based out of Eager, Arizona. Uh, Jeff's operation is a full-service outfitter for Arizona and New Mexico. He also has a Hunt Hard clothing and gear line. Uh, He's uh, got all kinds of stuff going on. He buys landowner tags. Uh, He he kills big critters, and I know the guy loves to hunt. Uh, Jeff, I'm excited to talk to you today. How are you doing? Great, Jay. Great. I know you've been traveling. Uh, you just got off a plane. You've been overseas for, uh, been traveling, been up for 29 hours. So uh, this ought to be a great interview. We probably will be uh, uh, wandering all over with uh, being up for 29 hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little cloudy right now. So <laughs> it's, uh, I've been very, very busy. That's awesome. Uh, Jeff, I want to talk to you um, uh, about your operation in Arizona and New Mexico. Uh, what would you say percentage-wise, how much business do you do percentage-wise in New Mexico compared to Arizona in in regards to hunting? Um, I would say it was it's probably 60-40. We probably do 40% Arizona, 60% New Mexico. Um, it could be a little higher in New Mexico. It just depends because of landowner tags and availability of hunts makes it possible for us to to take people that you know basically want to hunt every year and um that makes it nice because in Arizona, being an outfitter like I am in Arizona uh you're totally relying on the draws and a lot of times you can have a lot of people that want to hunt with you, but the reality is sometimes it takes them 15 or 20 years just to get a tag. Um, before we dive into it, Jeff, uh, give me a little bit of background um, of yourself and uh, your start to hunting and your start in the outfitting business. Well, I started hunting at a young age. Um, my father you know, raised me in the outdoors, uh, hunting and fishing in the White Mountains, was born and raised in in Eager, Arizona. Uh, my father was from the area, um, and the man that raised him, my granddad, was a was a game and fish officer from Clifton to Holbrook um, in the uh, 40s and 50s, and of course, you know, grew up with that, uh, you know, with the background of, you know, hunting and fishing, of course, in the White Mountains. Um, started outfitting in 2000 or 1999 basically is when I started my own outfit, uh, Hunt Hard Outfitters. I worked for some of the biggest outfitters in the business prior to that and kind of forged my own path by, you know, going out on my own and, and, uh, you know, booking hunters and, and I was pretty much hunt hard for years. I just, I, I did a, you know, real personalized, uh, outfitting service where, because of landowner tags and things, I would I would book my own hunters for every hunt. So I would pretty much book myself out for 14 hunts a year, and that worked great. Um, and as time went on, it just we started expanding, and I'm I'm tied in and networked with you know a number of you know some of the best guides in the state, and 
you know, it just was smart to, I, my goal always was kind of to, to approach outfitting with a different, you know, approach. And that was to, you know, take as many guys as we could where the, but the quality would still stay, um, you know, high. We didn't want to, we didn't want to lack in, in the quality. So, you know, and that's, that's what we've been able to do. You know, this year we'll probably, we're taking close to 60 hunters across Arizona and New Mexico. We have nine full-time guides that work with, uh, with myself. Um, and like last year we took, uh, you know, we took 35 bulls over 340. Um, that's, you know, that's Arizona and New Mexico, of course. Uh, killed the biggest bull in the state last year in Arizona um, on a late late rifle hunt. So um, we've been able to be successful for a number of reasons, um, and one of those is keeping small camps. It's helped us to, uh, you know, keep. You know, you can have more than more than four hunters uh, in a in a given week, but we try not to go any more than four hunters in one specific unit at the time. So. Would you say that your bread and butter butter units in Arizona are one and twenty seven? Yeah, one and twenty seven. Uh, we do a little in three A three C. Um, I, I quit hunting three A three C as much after the fire. Um, they beat the unit up pretty hard. A lot of tag numbers. Uh, a lot of the quality left the unit. It's come back a little bit now, um, but it's nothing like it was, uh, you know, ten years ago. Um, and I I mainly I mainly stay in one and 27 because that's what I know really, really well. And it, it keeps me close to New Mexico, you know, Springerville eager is there is 15 minutes from the New Mexico border. And we hunt all of the Gila wilderness and 15, 17, 13, 12, you know, all the stuff right there close to the house. So it keeps us, you know, that 150 mile, 150 miles around, Springerville and Eager, Arizona and New Mexico, but we try not to, we do, you know, we have done a few hunts around other parts in the state, you know, Southern Arizona. Um, I do, you know, some late archery deer hunts in the desert. Um, but for, you know, our, our bread and butter is elk, of course, you know, and, and that is based right there around Springerville and Eager. I want to talk to you a little bit about Unit 1 and 27 as far as elk goes, and I'd like you to kind of compare and contrast Unit 1 to 27. Give me a little bit of the pros and cons from an elk hunting standpoint, uh, from, a, from a getting around the unit standpoint, from a, a, a people uh, interaction standpoint, meaning uh, lots of people around or no people around and kind of talk to me a little bit about each unit and how they differ from each other or how they're similar. Okay. Where do you want me to start? You want me to start with one? Sure. Unit one uh, is, is an excellent, excellent unit. Uh, of course, you know, born and raised in the unit. It's always, you know, been one of the top producing units in the state of Arizona. Um, Size-wise, it's probably been third or fourth on the list for sheer you know, size of elk, you know, I think nine, 10, um, some of those units up north, you know, probably produce a bigger average. But if you're going to go for sheer action and, 
and consistency year to year, you're probably not going to beat a unit one in 27. Um, the rut's always on. Um, we got natural water. So the elk every year are, you know, go from, you know, we don't have really any inconsistencies in that where you do get a lot of that up north sometimes with drought and, and early rains and, and, and such. So certainly um, I know honey. And it's I know just, honey. Uh, like I said, with that consistency, it's just an always an action packed hunt. I'm, I mean, you're going to see lots and lots of animals on the hunt. So that's what, you know, one produces 27. Um, up until about three years ago, it was much the same after the fire, uh, 27 been beat up pretty hard. Um, they're doing kind of the same man management practices I'd say as 3A3C got. 27 had 500 late rifle tags in it last year. Um, and, you know, five, I think it was five years ago. I could be wrong exactly on the number, you know, of years back, but it was 250 prior to that, always on the late hunt. And with the fire opening up so much country, um, and everybody, you know, running a set of 15 Swarovskis and shooting a long-range rifle with a turret, elk are sitting ducks a lot. So uh, they've taken some really big bulls in those late hunts, and it's our age class has really, really been beat up. So, so for overall quality, um, speaking about archery elk hunting, uh, you, do you think that one is a higher quality hunt from an, uh, a standpoint of of bugling and numbers of elk as well as size, or or what do you what are your thoughts? Yes, I do. I think one is better for archery, and and one of the main reasons why one is so much better. It's not that it's so much better. I hate to emphasize that it's you know dr like really drastic, but the reason it's better is it's got a lot more cows, and a lot of bulls will catch bulls on trail cams in 27, and those bulls rut in unit one. And they rut in unit one because the cows are in unit one. And 27, there's just not near as many cows in 27 as there was, you know, six, seven years ago. So we've, I mean, there is pockets of cows. And, and I'm not trying to, you know, say that these, you know, I don't want to be a doomsdayer, you know, and say these units are, are really going downhill because they're not. They're still excellent elk hunts. They're just, uh, you know, the cow numbers with the cow hunts that we've had, there, you know, you've got to have, you got to have the women running around to have the men chasing them. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. you know, you've got all those, uh, a lot of those elk are going to one and rutting. And, and so the, and one is, you know, it's a milder unit. It's got open parks, meadows, uh, pine forests. Of course, the burn has really opened up a lot of country, but it's a lot milder of a unit than 27. You know, when I'm booking hunters or I, or I, I'm putting people in for the draw. One of the number one questions I ask is what, what kind of shape are you in? You know, and I, I kind of really grill people on that because not everybody is built for 27, 27 is rugged, nasty country, you know, compared to a, like a 23, you know? Sure. Jeff, um, in your opinion with the wallow fire that uh, came through there, um, it's opened up a lot of habitat in your mind, has have uh, one one in twenty seven, in essence, stolen some elk from the San Carlos and the White Mountain in that 
uh, is the carrying capacity in your mind higher, and do you think a lot of those elk came from the res? Um, I've been asked this a number of times, and I would say on the, the fringes of where that fire approached the San Carlos and the Fort Apache, I would say, yes, it did pull some elk, um, but not in the numbers that I have I have heard. I don't think that, uh, you know, for instance, um, a couple of the really big bulls that have been killed in the area, you know, I've heard people, you know, say, well, they probably came from the reservation. And a couple of those bulls were killed 30 miles from the reservation. And I don't believe that that's the case. I think that after the fire with the nutrition that was there, with uh, the seeding that they did with the wheat and barley, and I just think that it was a, you know, elk elk are funny. If they get a massive amount of nutrition, they blow out extra points. They, you know, that's where you get the kickers and the trash. Um, we're seeing that a lot this year. We're already seeing lots of trash on the elk. Um, and that's because of the, you know, the, the high nutrition that's there. Lots and lots of feed. And so I don't, I don't necessarily think that it drug as many elk as people may have thought over. Um, I do know that they, they had complained, uh, when I say they, I just mean that, uh, you know, I had heard that, uh, the Fort Apache, they had killed the, the second year of the fire, they had killed less, you know, 400 plus inch bulls that year than any year that they had ever hunted. And so, I mean, there's a little to be said with that. I mean, it could have drug, especially along the line, um, because if the cows came, the bulls followed them. Um, so it's, it's really a opinion, you know, you could have your own opinions on that. Um, it, it's really hard to say unless some, you know, they had collared elk and really followed their movements, you know? Absolutely. Um, Jeff, conditions this year, uh, tell me about, I, I believe we had a fairly mild winter, uh, but had heavy rains in the spring and heavy rains this summer. How do the conditions look and what is your forecast for this season uh, for archery elk in Unit 1 and 27? For 1 and 27, first off, I haven't seen feed this heavy in 10 years. And when I say this heavy, I mean it's it looks like the end of the monsoon. Um, the mountain is, you know, knee knee deep, waist deep in in feed, and usually it's the end of this month or the end of August is when we're seeing that kind of feed. Uh, everything's pretty much headed out already with seed. Um, like I said, it's just it's going to be an epic year for feed. Uh, and we came off a really you know a mild winter. Um, we did get a lot more moisture than a lot of people think, but we didn't get the snow. We had a lot of warm storms come through, and we had a lot a lot of little rains and little snows, an inch here, an inch there. Um, I know that in, you know when people were lion hunting this year, they really hammered the lions this year uh, in 1 in 27 because of a lot of little storms, you know, one or two inches at a time, which made really good, um, you know, uh, conditions for lion hunting, which, which of course I love. So, you know, because Absolutely. You do you hunt you know, lions yourself also? No, um, I'm not much of a lion hunter. Uh, I have lots and lots of friends that have great, great, you know, hounds and, and do it. Uh, so what we do is I, 
what what I'm doing is during lion season, I'm out selling hunts at the shows on the East Coast. So I I do a show circuit, you know, and I'm out doing outdoor shows. So I don't have that's why I never really got into lion hunting. And I and and I always say there's no money in lion hunting. I mean, at the end of the day, this is how I feed my family. And uh, I'm a full-time outfitter. This is all I do. So it's pretty important that I start booking up the next season, um, you know, for what we have coming. And in lion lion hunting, as uh, you know, we send a lot of our clients. I just, if I have a client that wants to go, I just book him with, you know, guides that work for me that have hounds, which we've had one and, you know, two at a time, uh, two hunters at a time be out in the area. And then we just have a number of guys that have, you know, packs of, packs of dogs. Sure. Um, I want to talk about unit one a little bit here specifically, and I want you to kind of tell me for someone that maybe has drawn the tag this year, and let's say that they are not in the position to take a guide, uh, how is the access around the unit? And maybe talk specifically like from head to toe how you would get around in the unit, not specifically areas like you would hunt, but you know, what are the access points? Uh, what are some of the things that maybe someone being new to the area would need to know? Okay. Well, um, you know, Unit 1, your, sub, your, northern born, your northern border would be Highway 60. Okay. Your eastern border would be the New Mexico state line. And then uh, the Fort Apache uh, and a county road that comes out of Vernon would be your your western line um so and your southern line is black river um and the road this is another thing you know people always asking me road numbers and growing up and living in an area i i don't know if i could tell you you know 10 road (laughs) numbers on my mountain i'm from there born and raised there so very rarely do i ever look at a map or anything of the area just because i know it so well so i have guys stop me all the time on the road and ask me a road number and i can't even tell them where it's at um, anyway, so the main access, you know, to get into unit one, you know, is you come in, you, you know, on highway 260, the road that goes to big lake, that kind of splits the unit. Uh, it's a paved highway all the way to big lake. And once you top out on top, you get into what we call the big lake flats or, you know, up on top where it's just the grasslands up on top, you know, that set at about 9,000 feet, you know, you have about you know, 12, 13 miles of grasslands up on top. And that kind of splits the unit. And then, of course, you have, um, you know, uh, 180 that goes to Alpine out of out of Eager. And, you know, east of that is Escadilla, the Escadilla Mountain, um, you know, which is 10,5, uh, 10,500 feet. And then you got, it, you know, and it drops off, has a lot of vertical feet there, but it's a big mountain lots of elk on it, you know, of course, every, a lot of people, you know, hunt that country. And then, so you could kind of divide it into, you know, three sectors. You got there, I mean, you got the, what we call the, you know, the reservation line and, you know, to Big Lake, to the Big Lake Highway, Big Lake Highway off to 180 and then 180 over to the New Mexico line. So that there's, there's a lot of access. Unit one's got access everywhere, you know, Lots of roads have been closed off, so, you know, there's gates to park at and, you know, has foot access only. But, um, you know, there's not really any giant wilderness areas other than the Baldy Wilderness. 
And in unit one, um, I think there's 350 archery tags. Maybe they lowered it to 300. I'm not exactly sure. But um, is it pretty stuffy? I mean, it seems like a lot of people. I know unit one is big. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, it's uh, it's bad. There's, there's no way of getting around it. Um, it usually clears out uh, because you have a lot of guys that come in and either get disgusted with it and leave <laughs> or you know, kill a bull and, and, and pack up their camp and go. But it is a little stuffy because not only do you have that, you have the cow hunters at the same time. And I, I kind of quit paying attention to how many cow hunters they had with it. and every, I, I couldn't even tell you what it is this year, but um, I know they have cut back a little bit. But, yeah, it gets a little crowded. Um, and there are places you can get in and get away, but that's all about knowing, you know, the unit and where you're at. But... Um, I know last year, or what is it, the year before last, um, I was, I came off of a New Mexico archery hunt and came in and hunted with one of our clients and went to one of my favorite spots and there was six, six trucks parked where I normally park. Wow. And I just turned around and left. So as a local, that's got to be a little bit discouraging having, you know, basically the mountain and the unit to yourself most of the year. Um, but you know, everybody's, uh, entitled to hunt. I, I sure wish though, uh, the game and fish would be more liberal on their numbers. I know that there's some that would criticize me wanting more opportunity. I think one of the things that makes Arizona stand out is the fact that our, our hunting is so good. And the reason it is so good is we have a higher age class and, uh, you know, not as many tags as a lot of places, but, I, I think there is a happy medium. If if they asked me and if I had a chance to vote, which I don't, um, I would go for less tags and higher quality, better opportunity when you do draw. Um, but, you know, there's a lot out there that would rather have more opportunity rather than quality. So, I mean, it's it's you, there's got to be a happy medium somewhere. And I think the Game and Fish, Arizona Game and Fish, does a pretty darn good job. Uh, even though it seems as though everything they do, I can find something to critique them on. <laughs> yeah, I could do the same. And, you know, I have lots of friends that work for the Game of Fish and, you know, people that, you know, of course, being in this business that we know, um, you know, and their hands are tied in a lot of ways. They have, you know, certain things they have to meet as well. Uh, I do think that the numbers, the tag numbers that they've released are, uh, really high in a lot of hunts. I think a lot of it could be cut back. Um, and I, I mean, just to give you an example, I, I had complained about it to, um, some people that work in the game of fish and, and they said, well, Jeff, you should be happy because you're going to have, there's more availability of getting tags for your clients. And I said, well, it doesn't make any sense to me to, to, I have a hunter that's applied for a hunt for, 10, 12, 14 years that when he finally does get that tag, that it's not near the level that he may have seen the time before when he hunted it. And right. the reason that is, is because we've, we've over hunted some of these units, you know, and, and, you know, people can say, you're right. There's a lot of people that can say, well, I want the, you know, I want to be able to go to the woods and hunt. Well, that's great. I mean, I think everybody should have that opportunity. But I think we should designate, you know, there's units that people could go do that in if they're not interested in maybe a trophy bull 
and and they could get a tag every you know four years in the state if they if they would hunt those units. Um, I just think that we should set up you know I, I think we should be you know really managing for a seven to eight year old age class on our elk and you know what I'm seeing especially in trail cams right now our middle class has been just hammered um, we're seeing lots of that 280 to 300 inch bull and we're seeing some big bulls but very few of the the 330 to 360 bull it's just that 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 bull is the bull that has been taken the most in the last three seasons in one in 27 and you know like i said i mean there's still big bulls there i'm not trying to be a doomsdayer about it but it's uh it's you know i i know one of our trail cams that had over 50 bulls on it uh four years ago and that same trail then that's been consistent and that same trail cam has 11 bulls on it right now well that that speaks a lot right there i mean that speaks volumes and and it backs up what you're saying um Jumping over to Unit 27, uh, walk me through a little bit of the boundaries and a little bit of the access points there as well. Okay, 27, I mean, you got, you know, the road that goes from Alpine to Clifton. Uh, is it 180, I believe? Um, and then you have your Blue Wilderness, you know, your access from Alpine down through the Blue, and then you have Red Hill Road that comes off of 180 at Beaverhead that comes back down to the blue, um, and then it dead ends, of course, at the end of the blue. Those are your access points on the east side of the unit, and everything off of that is going to be trailhead um, trailhead entry points, you know, forest trailheads, which if anyone's been down any of them lately, good luck, because with the fire, and there's more timber falling down on these trailheads than you can shake a stick at. So uh, hopefully you have long legs and you can climb over you know, down timber because it's it's like nothing you've ever seen in some of these areas now. Um, and then your access up on top would be you can come out of Unit 1 off the top of Big Lake and come down um, into Buffalo Crossing um, and then, you know, around around the unit to Hannigan all on forest roads. And those are really your access points. And then the southern part of the unit, of course, you got your main highway that runs all the way to Clifton and it's all forest entry, I mean forest trail entry off of that highway and then you have your Eagle Creek um, access uh, you know county and forest road that comes up through Eagle Creek that gets you into kind of over towards the San Carlos line there low that's all the low country so which a lot of people are not they elk aren't in the low country like they used to be as much uh, we'd kind of like that's why we say you know they, they issue 500 tags and they should just call it north you know, in North and South 27, because everybody's hunting on top of the mountain now, where in years past, everybody was packed in and on horses, and people were really spread out. But now you have a major concentration of hunters in one area now. Well, I know so, in the I know in the Rodeo Chetiskai fire over in 3C, um, I know that when I used to hunt 3C prior to the burn, there used to be a lot of elk out what we, what we would call low and what we, you know, in the cedars out in the junipers. Right. And not that there's not elk there now, but it seemed when the Rodeo Chetiskai fire hit 3C that all of the elk pretty much went to the burn. And I, I tell people now, 
if you're not hunting in the burn, you're not in the right spot. I would assume, I haven't been up and hunted 1 in 27 since the Wallow Fire, but I would assume that those elk are concentrated primarily in the burned areas. Not that there's not elk out in the non-burn, but way more are concentrated in the burn. Yeah, Jay, you're correct. Um, they have, you know, they've congregated in the burn. Um, I mean, they're going to go to where the feed is. And, you know, the year, it's not to say, like you said, it's not to say there's not elk low. There are elk low. But I killed a number of, you know, elk low in, in 27 in, in my career, and I've killed a number high. And in the late hunts, you never went high. You always went low. And in the archery hunts, you always hunted high. Very rarely did you hunt low. Well, we're starting to see that, you know, kind of the, the opposite of that. And, and not to say that we don't hunt low still because, you know, I had a, a good buddy that killed a really a monster 395 bull low last year. Doesn't mean there's not big bulls down in that country. Um, it's just that, you know, and, and a lot of the elk are going back into their old patterns. For instance, in unit one, you know, right there in town, you know, we have hay fields and, and different things. And for years, I mean, growing up, you, we'd have 60, 70 bulls throughout town all summer long, you know, coming in and out of all the hay fields in town. Well, we didn't see that for about four years. We hardly saw any elk in town. Um, this year and, and last year, those elk are starting to come back in town. So, and of course, they're, you know, those, they split as soon as the, it gets time to start rubbing the velvet, they'll split, you know, and they, and, you know, I've seen some of those bulls, for instance, we saw a bull in town two years ago that that bull rutted at close to Big Lake, which is 22 miles away from town. And he was in town all, all summer. Jeff, we're going to so, take a quick break here to hear from okay. our sponsors, and uh, I'll get right back with you. I want to talk to you about elk movement after we take a break. Guys, GoHunt.com Insider has been the title sponsor of this podcast uh, from the beginning, and I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I wanted to give you guys the opportunity to win a free $50 Kuyu gift card when you join Insider. All you have to do is go to www.gohunt.com forward slash insider, find and click on the blue join now button, use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout, and they will send you the $50 Kuyu gift card. I wanted to give you guys a chance to listen to Dave Losher, the head of the Go Hunt Insider, when he's talking about the species profile inside the GoHunt.com Insider. Let's hear from Dave right now. We also have our state species profiles, and within these profiles, you'll have the ability to see exactly which counties are producing the best bucks or bulls in the state, as well as breaking it down into a unit-by-unit unit basis. And under these species profiles right here, you can select a, a particular species you might have interest in. Let's just say it's... Uh, Let's just say it's elk. We can click right here on elk species and it'll show the different states where that species is offered. We'll click Nevada. And on the right-hand side here, within the map, you can see, and I'll expand it right here for better view, it'll show the different units that apply and offer big game hunting for the species of elk. And within this profile, a quick summary about the elk and the situation within that state. The news, the notes, and alerts that talks about maybe some current things that have happened 
under the state of Nevada right here, the percentage of harvested bulls with at least six points upon one antler. The number of tags offered across the state for residents and non-residents for that particular species. For Boone and Crockett, we've actually pulled down the typical and the non-typical and broke them into two different categories right here. The number of entries county by county. Now, additionally, we're going to go in a little bit deeper here, and we've actually broken it down on a unit by unit basis. Within this particular county, you can see these units are the units that, that lie within that county. Even if a portion of that unit is in there, it's going to be featured right here. And you can actually select that given unit, and it will hyperlink you right into that exact unit profile. On the right-hand side of the species profile, you're going to be able to see uh, some photos. These photos are valuable. It gives you a general idea of exactly what type of trophy you could hope for and exactly what, what the genetics may be in that given stage. Jeff, I want to talk to you about elk movement. You run a lot of trail cameras. Uh, how many cameras do you run in, in, in each unit? Uh, we run about 150 between 1 and 27. Okay, so 150 trail cameras. Um, I, I do a lot of hunting in 9, 10, and 23. I have not done a ton of hunting in 1 and 27. Uh, never actually in 27, but I have hunted Unit 1 in 2002. What I tell people is that uh, from the time those elk rub their antlers to the time they move to the, what I call the rutting grounds, um, very rarely do I see a bull stay within a mile or two of where he's summered. I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion. And, and what I mainly see is bulls go, you know, five, six, seven, ten miles away to rut. Do you see the same thing in 1 and 27? Oh, yeah, yeah. The elk move um, really long distances. Now, occasionally you'll get a bull that stays put. Um, doesn't happen very often, though. So it makes scouting challenging when, when you know, the trail cams – they only show you so much. Uh, you know, you, you get to see the horn growth. You get to see what's kind of coming up, the up-and-comers. Um, and you get to see year-to-year -year bulls that are, that are, you know, coming of age. Um, and then you get to see bulls, of course, that didn't make it. Because if you've been watching a bull for five years and he doesn't show back up, usually he's been killed. And so that's where that comes in. Um, but as in, I, I find... Uh, you know, a 380-inch bull on a trail cam, and I'm going to go and we're going to camp there, and that's where we're going to hunt, that can be pretty tough because those bulls move a lot. And that 10, 12, 15 miles, I've seen it. Um, you know, in New Mexico, I know a bull that was killed a few years ago. Uh, it was a 400-plus-inch bull. The bull went 26 miles um, is where he was killed from where he summered. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and, and, you know, that's big. the big timber stuff might be a little different than the cedars um, and the pinyon juniper country. Uh, yeah, but we do. I, I killed a, a bull, uh, a big, uh, the palmated bull that I killed in 27, two, three seasons ago. Um, that bull, you know, summered um, in Unit 1. Um, about 12 miles from where we killed him in unit 27. That's and I awesome didn't know that. that I just, I never had a trail cam photo of the bull, but I, I got a trail cam photo from a buddy, uh, who had him on trail cam and it was 12 miles from where we killed that bull. 
Yeah, they're pretty neat animals. I mean, they basically have areas that they like to rut in. And I know that, you know, year after year, I've seen the same bull in the same spot or the same meadow, same general area uh, during the rut. So, I mean, they they absolutely have places that they prefer to rut. Now, I think I think that can change a little bit from year to year, depending on conditions. I don't know if in 27 and 1, since it's uh, not near as arid as, say, the, a lot of the rest of the state, you know, I don't know if they have that much of a change. I would imagine that 1 and 27, that those bulls would pretty much rut in the same spot every year, year after year, because the conditions are usually pretty much the same. Yeah, um, we do see that. Uh, they do, a lot of times, uh, rut in the same area. Um you know, from my from my own experience, sometimes I'm not probably the right guy to answer that. I'm pretty busy in New Mexico at the same time. Not to say that I that I don't, uh, you know, come back and forth, but I I'll get in there a day. But to say that I saw the same bulls, um, I'm probably not a very good judge of that because I do spend a lot of my archery season in New Mexico. You know, 80% of it I am in New Mexico. So. Let's talk about let's talk about New Mexico, Jeff. Um, what what areas there are your bread and butter units? Well, in New Mexico, I'm I'm I hunt and uh, oh, there's just there's so much to to talk about in New Mexico because um, the Gila, which everybody knows, you know, which has been world famous for years, um, the Gila Wilderness, which is your 16A, 16B. Um, 16D, uh, but everybody, you know, considers 15, you know, part of the Gila. I mean, everybody just references that area to the Gila, which, you know, if you want to get right down to it, the Gila wilderness is, you know, it's only over, I think, three three units, or right, there's actually a couple units south of it as well. But anyway, they, so all that region is known, you know, year for years of being, you know, big bulls. It's got giant elk in it. And and it was that that's how it was for years but it's it's not uh the age class in New Mexico is really you know its reputation is preceded by the years past i mean it doesn't you know New Mexico lives off its past reputation it is still excellent don't get me wrong um and especially when you consider western elk hunting opportunity it still has tons of elk hunting opportunity um, but it's not, you know, what it, what it was, uh, unit 15, New Mexico 20 years ago was probably the best unit in the state, in the, in the United States for size. I mean, there was giant elk everywhere in the unit and they have close to, you know, 3000 tags in unit 15 a year are being hunted between cow and cow, cow and bull. And it's in, you know, it's, it's, that's too many tags really, <laughs> but that's how it's always been, you know, and it still does produce some good bulls, but it's really a 280 to 300 bull hunt on average now, you know, where in the past it was a 340 plus average easy, you know. Um, what, what other units do you um, do elk hunts in New Mexico? Uh, 16A, 16D, uh, 23 um 16e uh 17 13 12 i mean pretty much everything from socorro new mexico to the arizona state line and from i-40 south to 
Silver City. I mean, that's a good, you know, it's a big area. Um, and I how, say I-40. How I many 40, of those hunts? Go ahead. I said I-40, but I mean, that's, you know, it'd be more like, uh, you know, Highway 117 that's heading to, you know, Albuquerque, everything south of that. How how much of those hunts are draw hunts, and how many of those tags that you're running are landowner tags? All right, well, that's a good question. Um, for instance, I'll apply a certain amount of people for the draw every year. And, of course, you know, if you get lucky enough to draw the draw, we have a set price that we charge for that hunt. And then where the real money comes into it is buying the landowner tag. So say Jay Scott puts in for elk in Unit 15, and you were to draw the tag, then then and you can book the hunt and come hunting, or or hunt it on your own, of course. Now, the way it works is 10% of the tags, okay, uh, go tag. I'm a little cloudy right now because, like I said, I've been up forever, but uh, <laughs> I'm trying to get all these numbers right in my head. 10% go to um, out-of-staters, okay? 6% mm-hmm. go to out-of-state um, non-outfitted, 10% go to what they call the outfitter draw pool. Right. Okay, so if you draw through an outfitter, you've got 10% opportunity to to draw the tag, where if you hunt on your own, you have 6%, okay? Right. Now, if you do not draw and you want to hunt, you can buy a landowner tag. And that landowner tag is a voucher that we buy from a landowner. We give him a certain amount of money for the what the game and fish issues him. So we're going to use some easy numbers. Say you have 5,000 acres. They might give you five mature bull tags in that unit. And you can designate that tag unit-wide or ranch only. And if it's ranch only, you know, you can stay behind a locked gate on 5,000 acres and hunt those five tags. But if you go unit-wide you have to open up your 5,000 acres to let the public or anybody hunt your land as well. What, and do those, most, what do most landowners choose? Do they choose to keep it private or do they choose to let everybody in? It all depends on how big their ranch is because if a ranch is only five, I know, I know small ranches that get 10 tags because it's all on elk usage and they have a lot of elk coming in and off of their property. But they go unit wide because really 5,000 acres you can drive it in you know 20 minutes if you if you had a good road around it you can pretty much hit the perimeter of 5,000 acres it doesn't take that long to drive around you know three square miles. Sure. Um, sure. So it just depends on size you know if you have you know uh, the big ranches you know like um, there's a couple of ranches you know like the Double H you know it's you know I. I don't know what the exact acreage is, but, you know, it's 80,000, I think, plus or right in there. Um, and they get, you know, say 75 elk tags. Well, they're going to they're gonna hunt those tags on the ranch because there's no need to get it good to go open with it because it's big enough to, to use those tags there. Um, so anytime anyone books with an outfitter that has a private ranch leased, it's good to know how big the ranch is because if it isn't that big, Odds are it's probably not going to be a very good hunt. Um, yeah, and I, mean, I, I only deal in unit-wide tags. I only buy unit-wide because I want to hunt everything that's available to me, not just a 5,000-acre piece. So, Jeff, ballpark on landowner tags, including the guide service, are we looking at, what, 10,000, 12,000? How much money are we talking 
Uh, it depends on the unit generally. and the and the weapon, um, but it has absolutely went off the charts in the last two seasons. Um, most of the landowner tags that I purchase have almost doubled in price in the last two years. Um, so some of those tags, I mean, I bought a $9,000 tag this year for just one rifle tag. You know, so after after everything is said and done, the client will have 14.5 in the hunt. Yeah. And it's to hunt a 330 to 350 bull. Yeah. So... You well, know, it's, you know, it's opportunity and demand and, you know, supply yep. and demand. And, and um, as the economy gets better and, and as elk opportunities shrink, I mean, the prices of elk hunts are going to go up. And um, right. tell me about the quality uh, in New Mexico as far as the bugling and such compared to, say, Arizona. Um, okay. Maybe on the archery seasons, the muzzleloader. Kind of give me a compare and contrast there. Um, well, really quick, I was going to throw you an average. The average on those landowner tags, you're looking at about uh, 5000 to 55. That's kind of the average going rate for a landowner tag in New Mexico right now. Okay, for, for down in our country. Up north, they may be a little cheaper, but down in the Gila, that's what you're looking at. Um, to get to your question, uh, so you're kind of looking at, like, what kind of action can you expect in the rut in the hunts? Yeah, exactly. Okay, in New Mexico, you've, you've got, they used to have three hunts. It used to be first to the tenth, um, and then there was an eight-day hunt and then a six-day hunt. So it went ten, eight, six. Now there's only two hunts, first to the fifteenth, and or first to the fourteenth, and fifteenth to the twenty-fourth. So those are your two options. Now they start hunting September 1st, which I hate those dates, Um you know, a lot of guys like to like to come in and hunt on those dates because they're hunting water holes. I'm not a big fan of water. Uh, I don't like to, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I don't put clients on water. We do. We hunt water. Uh, but you know, if you, you know, if your if your goal was to come kill a big bull with your bow, and to get the full um, effect of it, it's to hunt them while they're screaming. You know, on the ground, um, stalking them, calling them. You know all the, you know, all the aspects of archery hunting. Um, setting and waiting is, you know, and I've killed, I've killed bulls on water myself. Um, you know, and it's, 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 it's different for everybody. Everybody, there, there are certain people, you know, I like to say if, if an older gentleman still wants to come out and hunt with his bow, that first, that September 1st to the 15th, a great season, because you can put someone that's, in their later years on a water hole and still give them a really good hunt, um, you know, where they maybe can't get around as well, you know. Um, Action-wise, I mean, New Mexico, New Mexico has high elk numbers. They have a lot of elk. So, you know, even though the age class might not be what Arizona is, we still get really action-packed hunts. Um, you're not going to see the, you know, typically you don't see as many seven to nine-year-old bulls as you might see in Arizona, but you're still seeing that, you know, that 300 to 320 bull um, are very plentiful, and, you know, it's a really, like I said, it's still very action-packed, lots of bugling, lots of, uh, you know, uh, opportunity, you know. I would say in, in kill ratios, 
New Mexico is probably more like an archery season, more like a 65% kill ratio where Arizona is, you know, 90 plus. So. I've heard that New Mexico bulls are way more call shy and, and, and aren't as callable. What would you say to that? Um, yeah, I would say most definitely if you don't know how to work the elk and you don't know what to, they respond to. Um, I'm not a big fan of calling myself. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not, not to say I haven't, we don't call elk in and I don't, you know, call elk in. It's just that, um, I believe in calling elk only when it's, you know, you know, necessary and to let them do the vocalization themselves and just to move on them and, and to put yourself in the right position, um, to make a, you know, to make a shot or to position yourself, um, on their going and comings, um, you know, from, you know, feeding to bedding, um, they're going to let you know where they're at when they're pushing their cows. And it's just knowing the country, knowing the area, um, and knowing their, their movements and where to be and those funnels to cut them off. Um, what would you say, Jeff, what would you say your main strategy to hunt and harvest, uh, bulls are? Um, especially on big bulls in the Mexico spot and stock. Um, you can either bed them up. It gets kind of, you know, hard sometimes when they have a lot of cows. And New Mexico has a lot of open country in some areas where you can get high and you can watch a bull come across the big valley, lay down on the side of a mountain, and, and you can put a game plan together to get down there and get tied on him and, and kill him. Um, biggest bull I've ever killed in New Mexico on an archery hunt was after a four-and-a-half-hour stock, um, you know, to get in 40 yards from him in his bed. Uh, 389. Nice. Nice. Um, and, and then New Mexico has archery hunts and then muzzleloader, and then do they have an, an early rifle or are they late rifle hunts? Okay, say that again, Jay. Um, New Mexico has obviously the archery hunts you're talking about, but then don't they have muzzleloader seasons that are kind of during the bugling time? And yeah, then have you have... Late... Yeah, okay. Op okay, so... It used to happen to where they had a mobily impaired and juniors hunt that started very early. Well, that everything now in New Mexico in the last two years is they pushed it back a week and now they've pushed it another week. So where we used to actually catch the tail end of the rut in the first gun season, we now, that, that mobily impaired and um, juniors hunt will be around the 10th, where it used to be on the 4th of October. Now it's on the 10th, and then our first hunt, our first muzzleloader and gun hunt is on the um, 17th. So the the bulls will have peeled off by then, and they'll be heading for higher ground to start fattening back up, you know. So it's going to be an interesting season this year in New Mexico with, with that first and second season being so much later than it's ever been. But the guys that hunt elk and, and have hunted the area, they should be fine. The guys that, you know, are, are hunting them like, you know, we do more in Arizona where we're, I shouldn't say Arizona. I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, the glassing style where you're picking up elk, you know, setting for long periods of time and looking at big country. How many trail cameras are you running in New Mexico? Um, now, when I said that earlier, I probably kind of misled people. I, we don't run 150 just in Unit 1 and 27. A, a good portion of those are also ran in New Mexico. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So That's we're so probably total, running, 
yeah, so that's a total. Um, but in New Mexico, we don't run as many simply because there's there's some different laws on on you know salt and and you know getting getting pictures and hunting you know game. So just like flying laws are different in each state, you know the same with you know trail cams and and setting you know what people consider as bait, you know, uh, or you know salt licks or whatever. Let's talk about something that I know you're going to have an opinion on, and that's wolves. Maybe talk <laughs> about what what's going on with wolves and what's the real story. What's happening? Well, the real story is they've been they've been rammed down our throat for 20 years, and and the pattern has not changed. Um, and how to fix that? I don't know. Other than, you know, everybody needs to gain together right now and come up with a solution because we have way, way more wolves in that country than everybody thinks. Um, we're picking them up on trail cams. We got them with no collars. Um, all they talk about is the collared, the collared wolves. Um, you know, which they last count I heard was 180 or. You know, I, 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 and don't quote me on any of my numbers because this stuff changes so much. Um, I've been to a number of the meetings. Um, it's very one-sided. Uh, of course, they have to hear public comment from everybody, but the rancher, the hunter, the outdoorsman, I mean, we're, I, 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 I don't, you know, see that they're listening to us much. Um, Lots of outside uh, support from other states at these meetings. I mean, I don't know where the people are coming from, but there's a lot of people that aren't even members of our state, Arizona or New Mexico, that come to the meetings. Um, it's a real problem, Jay, right now. I mean, it's way worse than, like I said, than people think. Um, I know I know of an outfitter last year that that stopped me on the road in Unit 27 and said he saw 12 wolves taking down a spike elk that day and one pack and uh it was on facebook this year earlier that the uh wall lake herd of cow there's a cow elk herd over in wall lake in new mexico um and that elk herd had 65 calves hit the ground that the lady had counted that put this on facebook and i think it was after about a month and a half there was 11 left goodness and, and she had crazy. pictures of the calves with their hearts eaten out and just left. I mean, just killing them and leaving them. And they're they're interbreeding with the coyotes. And if they tell you, if anyone tells you that any different, that's a lie. Because I've got a couple on trail cams that you can literally not tell the difference between a coyote or a wolf. And and I've already, you know, the lady that that took the pictures um, or that has all the photos from. The incident in Wall Lake, uh, she set a trail cam on a dead cow, uh, you know, cattle, beef cow. And at that kill, they, she has coyotes, wolves, collared wolves, coyotes, and crossbreeds all eating on that cow at the same time. Sounds like we got so, a big-time mess on our hands. Yeah, it's going to be a mess, and we're going to be Idaho and Montana, Wyoming. We're going to be in the same boat that they are in in another 20 years if, you know, I mean, in my opinion, everybody just take the matter in their own hands. That's just what I think because 
you know, it's it's a it's going to be a real problem. And I don't know why, you know, everybody's drank the Kool-Aid on this thing, but it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal and it's not it's not we already have, you know, an abundance of lions in our woods. I mean, you know, our deer herds are are right now they're they're doing very well since the fire. Um, you know, 800 tags being released in some of these units doesn't help, but we haven't seen deer numbers like this in a while. If they'd just leave them alone, we'd really grow our deer herd back. But um, like I said, if this if this uh, wolf population grows at the rate it's growing right now, it's it's going to be over. I'm telling you, it's going to be over, man. It's a yeah, bad it's not deal. Good. It's a I have bad outfitter deal. friends out of I- Idaho that you know were thriving in elk, you know, 20 years ago, um, and are out of business now. No more game. Well, I know Same from in- I know from going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and going in Yellowstone and Teton National Park quite a bit over the years. Um, I've seen a dramatic difference in the amount of moose, amount of elk, and amount of deer um, just driving around in the park. And nobody can deny that the wolves have absolutely devastated uh, Yellowstone and Teton and mm-hmm. One of the things that's frustrating to me is it seems as a lot of this legislation and a lot of these laws are pushed by city slickers that don't even live in our country. Uh, And when I say country, I mean in our area. And it's frustrating to me that the ranchers and the outfitters like yourself uh, that have to deal with the repercussions, um, you know, it's just frustrating that, that, that that's what's driven, you know, it's driven by the city slickers, the people that live in the big cities, you know, the New Yorks and the LA's and urban lawmakers making laws for rural people. Yeah. And so that's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong and it's very frustrating. Um, but we do have a mess on our hands. Um, I want to talk to you before we go, I want to talk to you about, uh, your apparel line and your gear and, and your hunt hard, what you've got going. Cause I, I've seen you at a bunch of the shows and, um, you always have a bunch of people at your booth and you're always just, uh, very, very busy. Tell me about what you have going on. Okay. Jay, we first started hunt hard gear or hunt hard clothing, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we first started it for a means to offset pri- money that we were spending while we were out on the road. Um, selling hunts. So, you know, on some years, you know, while you're out going from show to show, I would spend upwards of $20,000 while I was out on the road uh, promoting my outfitting. And so when I named, when I, I, I trademarked Hunt Hard as a, as a clothing line, um, and I started, you know, T-shirts, apparel, hats, hoodies, just kind of a little novelty line, And it was a way to offset costs while I was on the road. So sometimes I would have two booths. I would have a booth at a show selling the clothing, and then I'd have my outfitting booth set up. That's where it kind of started. Um, And over the years, it kind of developed, and then I started building hunting packs. And it was a pretty basic day pack. Uh, uh, A lady in, in our community who builds wildland fire packs kind of helped me get going. Um, Karen Beto, uh, who owns the Pack Shack, she kind of helped me get going on building. And it was a it was a day pack that was modular, came apart in you know six different configurations. Um, 
and it was just it was what it was but it wasn't a pack that was a kind of a do-all pack it wasn't something that you were going to throw a quarter of elk on and a head and and you know go back to the truck with wasn't that it wasn't ever intended to be that um well in the meantime six years ago i know this sounds crazy but six years ago i developed um some new technology in the backpack world um and it's taken this long to finally um bring it to light but the project is coming to an end right now um that's where i've i've been uh gone on a trip um basically sourcing all the manufacturing of of the backpack that we're coming out with and this pack that we're coming with will compete with anything in the industry it's got patented technology in it and it's got some features that you haven't seen on a pack ever and it's it's that much different and it's it's built solely to hunt out of um and it's got some features that like i said you know nothing else out there in the industry has or or will have because of course of the patents um so i'm pretty excited about that uh and we're re re relaunching in 2016 hopefully at ATA if everything goes correct we'll launch it this year uh you know we've we've separated the companies now cuz hunt hard was always you know it was it was clothing apparel packs and big game hunts so we're, we're we've separated everything now uh the outfit will be its sole you know LLC company as as well as the gear and apparel um yeah and i mean i'd love to do another you know podcast when i when i get this pack out uh just so you can see the features on it and what it's designed to do that sounds cool. great. Yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see what you got there. And um, I want to thank you for coming on. And, and uh, I just, uh, I know guys that have hunted with you. Um, I know you guys shot the biggest bull in the state last year, I believe with that club bull. Uh, I believe that was last year, right? That came yeah, out. Yeah, it was last the, year. Yeah. And uh, so, I, I, you know, I've known, I've seen you at shows and stuff. Um, and I've known of you for a long time. And you have a great reputation, and, and uh, I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time after being up for 29 hours and traveling overseas <laughs> to uh, to talk with us. And uh, I, I appreciate all the insight that you gave us on Unit 1 and 27 in New Mexico. I wanted to give you a chance to let my listeners uh, know where they could uh contact you where they could read more about you and what have you can you give us uh some insight there um the best way to reach us i mean our our website is is hunthard.com that's h-u-n-t-h-a-r-d.com and i've never been a real good web guy so that's hopefully changing here because i'm not going to be running any of that um and we are com- we're currently we have a new outfitter website currently built that should be online in the next two weeks, and that will be strictly outfitted big game hunts. And we are tearing down the apparel and gear off of the site and doing a new site for that. And we're probably going to do the outfitting site under Hunt Hard Outfitters, and then the gear and apparel and everything will be under HuntHard.com. Okay. And so that's the best way. If you go to hunthard.com right now, uh, you can find my contact info with my cell. And, you know, that's that's the best way to reach me. And, of course, we have a, you know, the number of other ways people can find us. I mean, we have a number of the, you know, big booking agencies in the, in this 
you know, booking for us as well um, for Arizona and New Mexico. So there's, there's, uh, that's, that's the best way. But my cell is always the best way to reach me, um, and I do answer the phone direct. Um, you know, I'm gone a lot. I'm in the field. I spend a lot of time. My boots are in the dirt a lot. So it's important that, you know, people leave a message and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So awesome, man. Well, thanks for being on and uh, wish you the best of success this fall on your elk and deer and all your different hunts uh, there in Arizona and in New Mexico. I uh, look forward to seeing how you guys do, which I know will be good and uh, look forward to seeing the pictures and just want to thank you again for being on. Well, I appreciate it. We, uh, we are, you know, we're uh, hoping that this year will be a banner year again. I mean, the last three seasons have been excellent, and we're expecting this year to be no different. So, by the way, did you get a deer tag? I didn't get a deer tag. How about yourself? <laughs> well, I, that tells you how long I've been in the U.S. Um, uh, I haven't even checked. checked. I haven't even checked. So I, I, I could have a strip tag in my hand and I wouldn't even know it right now. And I don't I like, check to see if my card got hit because I think that's uh, bad juju. <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate you going on the J. Scott Outdoors podcast before you even check your uh, Arizona deer results. I, I, I can really uh, – I'm happy about that. <laughs> well, I know you've been trying to run me down for – the last three months and I've just been you know so so busy Jay that I do apologize for that it's uh I've got a lot going on right now and to try to with uh, with hunting season coming on and with this new line of gear that we've, we're getting ready to come out with I've been pretty strung out well Jeff that was a great conversation I appreciate you being on that was a great interview and um I just really appreciate you coming on well in closing i I would just like to say, you know, as we've been sitting here talking, I feel like you're interviewing me and I've used I a lot. And I just want to make sure that, you know, our listeners, your, your, your listeners know that guides make the world go around in the world of outfitting. And without the special crew that I employ, none of this could happen. Um, it's important that you know, people realize how important guides are to an outfitter. And I just want my guys to know how appreciative I am of the hard work and effort that they put into it. And they're a group of guys that if they happen to put your, their eyes on you and you're an elk, it's going to be a bad day. And <laughs> uh, they've proven time and time again, you don't run, you know, a 90% success rate for 10 years without good help. And really, I want to give all the credit to my guys. And, you know, we live in a state with a number of really good outfitters and good guys. And, you know, I just think of the bull that Philip Barrett just killed with A3. And Jed Larson, um, you know, found that bull and has lived with that bull for a, a few years and and was lucky enough to find it again and to have such a good guy like Philip kill that bull. And you think of all the people that we're associated with in this business. Um, and there's just lots and lots of people that, um, you know, really make this a great business to be in and be associated with the people that we're, that we rub shoulders with. Well, I think it speaks volume for you yourself to bring that up because, you know, the the guides that work for the outfitters most of the time are the unsung heroes. 
Um, and so I appreciate you mentioning your guides. I know you have a great staff and uh, I just really appreciate you being on and it's uh, evident that you run a first class operation and uh, just really appreciate you bringing up the guides and, and how much they mean to you and really they're the backbone of the operation and uh, you you know that and I know that and the reality is most most people don't know that but um, uh, that that speaks volumes for you to bring that up and I just want to thank you for being on and and I wish you the best of success this season and uh, can't wait to see all the photos and um, all the smiles on the faces of, of your clients. <laughs> yeah, well, that puts smiles on my face, too. So, again, I appreciate you letting me be on and, and uh, thanks for the time you've given me. Sounds good, Jeff. You take care, okay? Okay. All right, Jay. Thanks. All right, buddy. Bye. Guys, I want to tell you about one of the sponsors of this podcast. DeadeyeOutfitters.com is a lifestyle hunting apparel company for hunters by hunters. Check out episode 45 of this podcast with one of the owners and you'll see what I mean. Deadeye Outfitters makes quality t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats designed with hunters in mind. Deadeye Outfitters has the only license for creating Boone and Crockett apparel. Use the J. Scott promo code and receive a 10% discount on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.